All right, if you have your Bibles with you, and we always have Bibles available if you forget yours or you may be using version. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 73 in a few minutes. Today's message is a little different, but you're going to enjoy it very much. It is a vision Sunday. I want to share with you a little bit about the vision of this church. And the last few years, this, this talk has happened at a time other than the Sunday morning service. So typically we've met Sunday afternoon or we've met recently Sunday for lunch. But today we wanted just to include the first talk of CIL Forward to the whole congregation, which is really convenient for you guys. CIL Forward is the process that we go through. It's a three-week process in case you want to become a covenant partner, which traditionally has been known as a member, or if you want to be involved in certain levels of leadership in our church. So it's a three-week sessions, three sessions. They happen three in a row. And if the the timing doesn't work out for you, we have some alternatives. Today is the first session. The next two weeks, the sessions will be during the 9 a.m. service. And they won't be in this room. They'll be in the living room. So we'll want you to sign up for those. So the church does track whether or not you've attended this session. And so what we're going to do for you, if you're interested, is I want to ask you to text your name to the number on the screen if you want the church uh, to know that you've attended the session. In other words, that you've heard the sermon today. You might say, hey, that's not for me. I want to kind of stay in the shadows. I want to stay unknown. I don't know where this text number is going to some central location that the government's control of or something like that. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. Just stay underground. But for your benefit, if you want the church to know that you attended today, so Forward 101 will be taken care of through today's sermon. Go ahead and text your name to that number right now. It's a question that I get a lot as a pastor. And the question is something that many, many people ask me. I don't think Christians asked this question 30 years ago, but it's still a very good question. The question is this, what is your vision? What is your vision? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And ultimately, it's really not my vision. I'm a steward of God's vision for this church. And it's a good question, and it's a question I would probably ask a pastor, so I don't want to criticize you for doing that. But it's become kind of problematic for me over the years for a few reasons. First of all, I'm a very visionary person, so I have a vision for a lot of things. And I'm a very visionary person, and because of that, I've always been really ambitious. I started preaching at the age of 14, and probably a year before that, I started considering whether or not I was going to be a pastor. A lot of people like to write my story for me, and they think, oh, since Aaron was in junior high, he's always wanted to be a pastor. But that really wasn't the case. I, I felt like I was gifted that way, and I started preaching and had success at that. Um, but I had other ambitions, like what I really wanted to be was the president of the United States. I mean, I was going for the top. Then I got my ACT scores back and realized, you know, maybe that's not going to work. So... I thought, well, if I can't be president of the United States, the next best thing is to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And so I thought, and, and I thought about going into coaching and that kind of thing. And, and then I went into the ministry, and I started uh, vocational ministry 21 years ago. Uh, and so I was 19 or 20 at the time in, 2000, in 1995. And it's such an honor to, to be part of that. And because we have been orientated to be competitive people. And because I'm a visionary person, it was really my goal to be a mega church pastor. 
and say, well, what is a megachurch? Statistically, this is the definition. A megachurch is a church that's 2,000 in attendance and above. And I really wanted to be a megachurch pastor. And so I wanted to start pastoring by the age of, before I turned 30. And I did. When I was 29 years old, uh, we started the church that has morphed into this church. So I've been in vocational ministry 21 years and a senior pastor 11 years. And I really wanted to pastor a megachurch. But it became an idol in my life. And, and I, I was going to do whatever it took to make sure the flock I was pastoring was going to grow. We're, we're, we're going to grow this church and we're going to do whatever it takes to grow. I feel like, for the most part, I've laid down that idol. Now, here's the truth. Some of you won't like this, but it's just the truth. The church at Indian Lake will be a mega church someday, simply by our location, by the growth of Hendersonville, and the fact that we need to reach people. So I probably will be the pastor of a mega church someday, but that's not, that's not my idol anymore. That's not my dream anymore. So when people ask me, well, what's your vision for the church? I know what you're trying to ask. You're trying to ask, where are we going and what's it going to look like? And, and we have 17 acres here and I have sit, sitting in my office right now um, plans on how we're going to develop this property. And we could, we've had meetings about that. So I have all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you what my vision for the church is and God's vision for this church. It's you. You're my vision. I want to see you grow. I want to see you love God more. I want to see you love people more. And the reason why church growth can become an idol is because religious leaders like me, we can use you to try to build what we want. Like you're some kind of cog in the machine. And, and we're just going to use you while you're usable and then we'll dispense you later. So when people ask me, what's your vision for the church? You know, I, I know what they want to hear. I, want, I know they want to hear numbers and buildings and planning churches and, and multi-sites. And, I, and I've thought through those things at nauseum. I thought about those things probably too much. I, I could, I feel like I could wow you with a plan but if you don't love God more 10 years from now and you don't love people more, what good is my little plan? It's about your heart. It's about who you are. There, there's a guy I run into in town, a good Christian man. He's probably in his 70s, and I like this guy so much, but he's part of a generation uh, that thinks about church growth a little differently. So every time I run into him, he asks me the same question. You know, how's the church going? I said, good. Then he goes, you're growing? I said, yes, because we are. And then he kind of waits. He's waiting to hear the number from me, but he won't say it. So he goes, how many are you running? Well, you know, that number, it depends on what week you ask me. I mean, two weeks ago, we had 560. Fourth of July weekend, we had 380. I mean, you just, I mean, it depends what week. So I usually just tell people like what our average is. And we're averaging about 480 right now, a little under 500. So so I just said, well, we're, we're averaging a little under 500. That's what I tell people. I don't want to embellish on a good week. And I don't want to, you know, misrepresent or whatever. We're, we're averaging a little under 500. Probably the same thing I told him the last time I ran into him. And, and he responded, pretty good. And I just said, you know, I think it's real good 
because I love every single person that's there. They didn't really know what to say after that. He wasn't being mean-hearted. I know he wants me to succeed. He wants the kingdom of God to succeed. He wants the church to succeed. But that is an illustrative story of, I think, why people are burned on church and tired of being part of a system and tired of being used as if your life just exists to fulfill the programs of the church. So at the end of the day, we can say we were part of a big church. No, it's more than that. We will be a big church. We will grow. But th those things are just the side. Th those things are just the results of who we are, of, of what God's doing in our hearts, of, of the type of people God is making us. So when I was in high school, um, I had a good high school experience. But, you know, I had some mild social ostracism, not much, just a few times when I didn't get invited to a party or something happened because I stood up for Christ or I was excluded. It was a bigger deal. Now it's not a big deal looking back on it compared to what other Christians are experiencing. But God gave me a scripture in high school. It's a theme verse of my life. It's the whole chapter of Psalm 73. But now I want you to go to just the key verse, verse 28. Psalm 73, 28. The culmination of the song the psalmist said this, but as for me, God's presence is my good. The NIV, which is how I memorized it, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Yeah, I didn't get included. I had to end a relationship. I didn't get that promotion, whatever. But you know what? As for me, it's good to be near God. It's good to be near God. I want to be close to the Lord. This is a theme of my life. It goes on, it says, I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. You see, we don't pursue morality just to be good boys and good girls because that motivation doesn't last. We pursue holiness because it's good to be near God. We say no to sin and yes to the things of God because his presence is good and satisfying and it comes and it satisfies the deepest, the deepest hurts and the deepest longings in our souls. And I want to lead a church who says it's good to be near the Lord. It's good to be near his presence. It's good to know God. It's good to know who God is. And we'll make the Lord our refuge. And then when we know how good his presence is, then what we do, we share his deeds with others. That's why we came up with a mission statement a few years ago, and it's in our logo, and it's a lot of our stuff. In the past, I'd been part of organizations, and we had written mission statements. We'd spent days, gone on retreats and hours, and we wrote down this real complicated mission statement. Like, it's like three or four sentences, and then we'd try to teach it to others, and I'd be like, we exist because people are in need, and God has a plan, and because of that, and, and I just, I'm sitting there trying to teach this mission statement, and I couldn't even remember it myself, okay? So we wanted to get something that's, con that's concise, that says a lot in one punch, and it keeps us focused, and it reflects not only this scripture you're reading, but it reflects the gospel and the heart of Jesus. At the time we came up with this, my son Lincoln, who's 12, and who loves being a sermon illustration, so wave your hand, Lincoln, so I can claim you. He was about seven. My other son would kill me if I, if I you know, no, notified the church who he was. But Lincoln was about seven, and so 
it had to pass the Lincoln test. Could Lincoln say, why does the church at Indian Lake exist? And at that time he could, hopefully he can now too. And we exist for this reason, our mission statement, to know his love, to share his love. Know his love and share his love. It's the heart of the gospel. We want to know his love, but it's not just enough to experience his love here. We've got to take that love that we experience and we get to share it with our friends, with our community, and with the world itself. I'm a little bit out of sequence here, but you're going to be okay with that. I like to call ourselves, our church, an intra-denominational church. Now, you've probably never heard that term. That's why I don't use it around town. When people ask me around town, they say, well, what kind of church are you? I'll say a non-denominational church because that communicates that we sing songs that are on K-Love and you can wear blue jeans. That's what that communicates. <laughs> but I'm a bit of a wordsmith, wannabe at least, and I don't like the word non-denominational uh, because it communicates we don't like denominations. So even though I use it a lot for a functional purpose, it, it, it communicates that we are, denominations are bad and we're up here on this hill, this church of five or 600, and we are just, we are it. And that's not the case at all. Um, whatever denominational heritage that you have, for those of you who are Christians, uh, to be part of this church, I'm not asking you to, lead, to abandon those at all. In fact, all of our pastors right now are ordained through the Church of Indian Lake, but I would love for our pastors uh, to have pastors who are ordained with other denominations. And we partner with other denominations. We partner closely with the Assemblies of God, with the Southern Baptists, with Acts 29, with the Vineyard Movement. These are all, these are all groups that I'm in fellowship with. Here in Hendersonville, I'm heavily involved in the Community Pastors Association. We meet once a month for fellowship and prayer. September 8th, we'll meet right here in this room as our church will be hosting that meeting. I've been president of that uh, in the past and, and heavily involved in that because we believe that God has a plan for his body. And the days of denominations and churches fighting have to be over, and I believe they are over. They're over because we all need to come together around the gospel message, the name of Jesus. We need to support one another. We need to lift one another up. And every church in Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville and North Nashville can grow, and every church can grow, and we'd still have people to reach. So this is not... No longer are we competing for the same people. We've got to think bigger than that and say, we are discipling the nations and we're going to start right here in our church, in our home, and spread throughout the world. So when we say we're an interdenominational church, even though we don't say that often, we say that to say that whatever denomination you're from, if you're a Nazarene, Lutheran, Southern Baptist, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, you don't have to cut off your heritage to be part of us. We, we revolve ourselves around the, cre the, the, the core doctrines of the church, what's known as, this is a weird word, orthodox Christianity, that which has been proclaimed since Jesus by all people and by the church itself. And that's why once a month we try to say the creed, the Apostles' Creed, because those are proven words that are bigger than our denominations. Uh, Christians have been saying those um, almost since Jesus ascended to, the, to heaven in some form or the other. So that's where we are, and that's our heart as an intra-denominational church. So here's another name, and one of the reasons I did this on Sunday morning is I realized that we've discovered language that some of you who have been in my ministry for eight and a half years have never heard. Those of you who have 
been in our ministry the last two years have heard new language that people who have been with us the longest have not heard yet. We now like to call ourselves, and I, I talked to the elders and the leadership board about this before, uh, before you know, we, we started launching this, a three-stream church, a three-stream church. And we're not the only ones who call ourselves this. I have lots of friends that both I've know, known for, long, for many years and some I'm discovering who also consider themselves a three-stream church. When I discovered this term, Dan Scott is a pastor of Community Church, uh, excuse me, Christ Church in Nashville, introduced this term. And when I learned this term, it wasn't like, oh, what a cool term. Let's try to be this. It was, oh, this is who we are, and we didn't know what to call ourselves. Do you understand the difference? And it was so liberating. The theory behind this, and I believe this, is that you can categorize almost every church in the world in one of these three streams. I mean, you could categorize almost every church in the world can be in one of these three streams. And we believe God's calling us to have representation of all three streams to complete his body and to have a full expression of what he's doing in these days. Here's the first stream. The first stream is liturgical. This is the stream that as your pastor, I have the least experience in. Liturgical communicates um, high church, uh, maybe the Anglican church, the Lutheran church, parts of the Methodist church, at least the modern Methodist church, even parts of the Catholic church, and those that are the idea of formal worship, the idea of having a liturgy, of responsive prayers, of reading prayers together. It's one of the reasons, not the only, that we have weekly communion. We've been doing that since the first day I became a senior pastor, which was 11 over 11 years ago at Guild Elementary School in Gallatin. That's just part of our history. And we, we've had weekly communion every Sunday since then. It's something God's called me to do to remind us that the church isn't centered on the preacher or on the worship leader. The church is centered on Christ. And you have the opportunity every week to take communion. You don't have to take communion, but the opportunity is yours. This has been on a practical, for a practical reason, a comfort to those from a Church of Christ background who take communion every week for those from a liturgical background. But we don't do it for expediency, for practical reasons. We do it for theological reasons. Other aspects of the liturgical church that we have here is um, the blessing I give at the end of the, the, the church from number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, the reading of, of prayers that we read. Most of those prayers come from the Book of Common Prayer, which has been around for over 500 years. And the Anglican Church um, has perpetuated this, and then many, many other churches use it. And the idea behind this is truth from the Scripture. We're saying prayers together that Christians all over the world are saying on that particular Sunday, usually coming from the lectionary. And Christians have been saying this not only today all over the world, they've been saying these prayers for centuries. And these prayers are tested because the church can get real trendy. And when church gets trendy, we forget our foundation. And I love our worship today. And, and I better love our modern worship because my wife's the worship leader. So I really have to. But I love modern worship and the courses we have. But like everything, there's strength and weaknesses. The modern worship we have today is very emotive. It's very emotional. It's very experiential. It's about my experience with God. And so we talk about that. And when we read these prayers together, it recenters us on who we're worshiping. 
We're, we're reminded who we're worshiping. We're, we're, we're centered on words from Scripture, words that are gospel-centered, so that we're not just being caught up in the experience, even though that's not bad to do that, as long as the experience leads us to the center, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think liturgical prayers help us in that. And, and it's something that um, gives a little more depth to our worship and focuses on who we are worshiping. And so we say, I, I, I don't think I've mentioned this here, we try to say once a month, the Apostles' Creed, so we can join the church universal, which is a positive word to say that. All right, here's the next stream, evangelical stream. The evangelical stream. This is the most common stream in the United States of America. This is personified in Baptist movements, Church of Christ movements. It's personified in, in any movement, even within like Methodism, that believes the Bible is God's word, that believes that interpretation of the Bible in a literal way is the application we have to our life. The evangelicals, and we are evangelicals, we believe that Jesus is the way to salvation. We're not universalists. We don't believe that all paths lead to God. We believe that there's one path to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why we get that message out. We get the message of Jesus out. We respect other religions. Uh, we, we can even cooperate with them to make society better. But when it comes to salvation, Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's what evangelicals believe. Evangelicals believe that the Bible is God's word. Uh, evangelicals believe Jesus is coming again. Sometimes we don't know if he's come, when he's coming, before the rapture, middle of the rapture, at the end of the rapture. If you get that figured out, congratulations. But we know he's coming. He's coming, and we're ready for him. We're, we're, and, and I said right, the tribulation is what I meant to say. The, the, see, anytime you bring up eschatology, it's like, ooh, our heads start going everywhere. I just know he is coming back. And so that's that tradition in us that preaches the Bible, that, that tradition in us that calls people to salvation, that, that tradition in us that, that keeps us centered on the name and the work of Jesus. The third stream is this charismatic stream. Charismatic stream is this openness to the Holy Spirit, this idea that the Holy Spirit can break in, and, and we're, not, we're not bound by the liturgy. You know, there's nothing that says we have to go right by the system. That the Holy Spirit can break in and do what he wants to do as the leadership of the church stewards that, as the people of God move in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which describes spiritual manifestations, we believe those are for today and that they don't, just they don't just move through the spiritual elite, that every single person can move through any gift to share in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes and he breaks in and he brings healing and refreshment and power and the prophetic. And he speaks to us in ways that the natural mind doesn't always know, but it's by the Spirit of God. And this is that stream that's so important to us also. And so it is, there's an openness to the spirit. That's why sometimes when Beth or one of our worship leaders, you know, we're, we've been singing, we've been reading these words on the song and the screen goes blank and she's still singing these words and it's like, where is that on the screen? It's not, on, the words are not up there. What's going on? Has she gone mad? No, she's singing through the spirit. It's the, the Holy Spirit's singing through her are is spontaneous. So though liturgical prayers are important, are, are valuable because we're all praying the same thing in unity, extemporaneous prayers that come both from the evangelical and the charismatic tradition means we're just praying from hearts. God, I love you right now. 
I'm praying, Lord, I thank you these people are here today. I think I'm not preaching to, any, to an empty room. I thank you that you're moving in our hearts today. I'm praying right now just from my heart, not reading a prayer. And see the value in both of those. And the Holy Spirit begins to lead us. And that's why often, often at the end of my preaching, and I, I, I work at my sermons and all that, but at the end and we get the music going, the Lord starts saying stuff, the Holy Spirit, I'm starting to say stuff. And sometimes I'm saying stuff out loud and I'm thinking in my natural mind, wow, that's really good. I hadn't thought of that before because it's not me speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. It's that gift, that manifestation of the Spirit that comes and touches our hearts. And so the idea behind this is if you can categorize every church in the world in one of these three categories, there's a movement today and, and it's, I keep discovering more and more people that says, hey, as a local community like we are, let's have representation from all three streams. Let's allow the fullness of God's expression of worship just to begin to flow through all of us. And it's not something that we're trying to do and trying to be. It's who God has created us to be. And the power of this is the Holy Spirit is moving through liturgical expressions and evangelical expressions and charismatic expressions. And when those three streams come together, there's a powerful move, a full move of what God's doing. Now, from a practical standpoint, if you feel led to go to a church or are drawn to a church that like everything is in the bulletin, everything we pray is in the bulletin and they tell you when to stand, they tell you when to sit, they tell you when to kneel and everything's predictable, we're probably not the church. If you're, going, if you're drawn to a church that they're just going to do a couple of songs just to kind of get people out of the parking lot just to get to the word and it's just a song service, we're probably not your church. If you're looking for a church that's just kind of and I don't even want to be belittling when I say this, but a church that's just so about experience that they're like, the attitude is, we may get around to preaching, we may not, let's just enjoy God, let's just see what happens. We're probably not the church. But if you like a little bit of all three, you're at the right place right now. And the idea behind that is that the Lord is using all of those streams to make us who he wants us to be. So let me talk to you about the five biblical purposes of the church. Five biblical purposes. First of all, this discipleship. These all come from the scripture. Discipleship. God wants his people to be disciples. Means we follow the way of Jesus. You are not just part of the audience. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And every single one of you need discipleship. If you think you've been discipled and you're already mature and you don't need discipleship, then you're immature. Because every single one of us needs to be in discipleship process. We, every single one of us needs to hear powerful messages from the Bible and powerful preaching from the Bible. Every single one of us needs to be in community. Every single one of us needs to be doing things that is producing spiritual growth within us. This is what God's called us to do. It's who he's called us to be. So discipleship is a need for all of us. I don't know where we begin to think that somehow we get a piece of paper or we finish a 12-week program and we're discipled. I want to tell you this, that I know my heart, I know my tendency, I need discipleship now. I meet with other pastors and we challenge each other spiritually so I can challenge you. And some of you, I'm just going to be really frank with you, you are in deception and you're full of pride because you think you're doing God some kind of favor for showing up for church and you need to be discipled. You need to get back in discipleship. You need to have a systematic study of the Bible. You need to, to have people that, who, who you can turn to for prayer. And that's why we exist. We exist to create that and, and to help create that for people. Evangelism is another purpose of the church. 
we have a message to give, a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ, a message to share. And so we share that, first of all, with our kids here because we know this statistically that most people get saved when they're under the age of 18. So we have to win the hearts of our kids now. And that's why we, that's why we have Awana. Awana, every child gets a chance to hear the gospel. Every child gets a chance to hear about Jesus. That's why we started the Orange Curriculum this month of August, because we want to put all of our kids in small groups so our kids are in relationship with other adults who are trained, who are certified, who have had the background checks and all that kind of stuff. But these adults are working with other adults to reach these kids' hearts. And so we reach teenagers, and then we go into our community, and we invite our neighbors to church. And I'm starting something, if you know people who aren't interested in church at all, but they, they're interested in talking about God, I'm starting a pilot program of something called Alpha. So let me know who those people are, and, and I want to invite them, and I want to get to know them, because we're serious about reaching people. A lot of people aren't interested in going to church anymore. The days are over where we're just going to put on a good concert, and people are going to want to come to church. We've got to reach their hearts in new ways, and God's called us to do that. Worship is an important part of who we are. You are not a full person until you learn to be worshipers of God. Now, here's the good news. You're at church today, so guess what you're doing? You're worshiping God. I, worshiping God is having a relationship with Him, learning, learning to have a friendship with God, learning, and that's expressed in a lot of different ways. Fellowship is another purpose of the church. We reject the notion that church is just a place to get content out. You can go on the internet and find flawless worship and better preaching than I have, and you can acquire content. But we're not called just to get content. We're called to be in fellowship. We're called to sit together, to shake hands, to get in small groups together, to know each other's stories, to care when our parents die, to care for each other, to love each other when we face unemployment, to celebrate with each other when we get promoted. This is the fellowship that God's called us to have. And lastly, service. We want to make our community a better place. We want to get into the social fabric of our community and serve the needs of the poor and help the education system and care about the health care and care about the physical needs that affect churches. There's a lot to do, isn't there? There's a lot to do for the Lord. What happens is, is if churches are not intentional about all five of these purposes, they tend to only reflect the strength of the senior pastor. So if the senior pastor really likes teaching the Bible, it's like really, really good at that, then that church is like, we're going to have all kinds of Bible studies and we'll just leave everything else to other people. If the senior pastor is an evangelist, sometimes those have been seeker churches. Churches, they may not have worship. They may not have communion. They don't even know what a creed is, but they're going to have a top 40 rock song and an apologetic message. And God uses those churches. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that, that he uses those, and, and that's not a criticism of that. I'm just saying that it reflects the heart of the senior pastor. If the senior pastor is a worshiper, the senior pastor may say, hey, let's just enjoy God's presence and we'll just see what happens. Let's just kind of see what happens. And guess what? Those type of churches grow and those type of churches do great things. So I'm not criticizing them. I'm just being illustrative here. The average church in America is 70 people or less and it's a church about fellowship. It's where the people are connected to each other. They know each other. A lot of times it's two or three families that make that church up. Um, the pastor kind of almost serves as a chaplain to take care of the needs of the church. Great work happens there. 
we like to think that that kind of work happens within our small groups because the Lord is expanding our influence beyond 70 people. We're a few hundred people now. And then service, these have been these last 60 years in America, some of the more downtown churches who are focused on, on feeding the homeless, focused on social programs, and we can learn a lot from those type of churches. The problem is some of those churches have abandoned the gospel message, and we want to do both. We want to do both. So the idea is that I want to see a youth ministry that has all five of these. I want to see a children's ministry that has all five of these. I want to see small groups. Right now, small groups are discipleship and fellowship. But as they sophisticate, they can also serve and worship. We want to see these characteristics in every aspect of our church and, and, and see those characteristics um, begin to move I want to ask our ushers to begin to prepare to distribute communion today. And I'm running out of time, so I want to talk fast. So I want to talk to you quickly about the front door. The front door is Sunday morning. Most of you show up on Sunday morning. And so our front door needs to be great. You know, people decide within the first five minutes whether or not they're going to stay at a church. So from you guys and gals who mow the lawn and make it look so beautiful to those of you in the parking lot, to those of you who are greeting, to those of you who are checking in kids, to the air conditioning being at the right temperature. And one of our leaders went on the roof today and finagled the air conditioning so you could sit in comfort today. The front door really matters. The music, for it to be quality, for the children's ministry to be excellent, and then the preaching has to be pretty good too. Even though I will say when all the other stuff is good, I don't have to be that good. So thank you. All of this is the front door. It's like having a front door at your house. You want your front door to be painted and and you want the flowers to be there and all that type of stuff. But we don't exist for the front door. We don't exist for Sunday morning. We get people through the front door so they can experience discipleship, evangelism, worship, fellowship, and service. So the last question is this, as we move to communion here momentarily. How? Here's a strategy God's given us. If y'all writing this stuff down, I forgot to tell you to write it down. Okay, just if you're interested. This is... Our strategy is the next generation. We're relentless on reaching the next generation. I know everyone says that, even restaurants today. Like, we love kids and all that. How do I know that we do that? It's because that's where our staffing is. You want to look at our staffing? We, we have staff in children's ministry and youth ministry. And I know that as time goes on, we'll hire more staff for you adults. But kids get the priority. Teenagers get the priority here. So it's not just oh, something we placate. We're not one of these churches with a bunch of executives and just a couple of children's people. Hope you guys get through it. No, we, we, we put our money where our mouth is in by investing in our kids. And we're seeing great, great fruits from this strategy. You know that on any Sunday, you don't, might not realize this, but there's 80 to 110 kids that are worshiping, depending on the Sunday, not in this room. And we're, we're, we're serving your kids. We're discipling them. And I'm committed to having a great youth ministry, and we're going to do that. And I pray almost every day for a college ministry. We have none. We have nothing yet, but we're going to have one. God's going to help us. Here's the next one. Next, next strategy is small groups. What's a small group? Anything that doesn't take place in this room. 242 groups, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. Church was not meant for rows. Church was meant for circles in living rooms, coffee shops, Sunday school classrooms, whatever. This is the front door Sunday morning, but we want to get you in a smaller group because a smaller group is when community is developed. And you you might say, well, I've tried a women's Bible study. I've tried the men's Bible study. I've tried small group and, and it just didn't go that great. You don't build community by visiting something one time. 
Community is built through repetition. Community is built through time. And you might say, I don't need a small group. You don't need a small group until you need a small group. When you come to a crisis in your life, when you come to a point when you need friends, the investment in a small group today means you'll have the community tomorrow God wants you to have. Assimilation is the next strategy. Assimilation is what we're doing today. It means we don't want you just to be a participant, a spectator. You're welcome to be, but at some point, we want to bring you into the life of the church. CIO Forward is the expression of assimilation, meaning you're part of our body, but it's more than that. It's what God does in our heart. And the last thing is this, is mission. Mission, that we're called. We're called to sin. We're called to go. God has always had a sending people. He's always had a people who have gone. And in the United Kingdom, and the United States of America, we have sent missionaries all over the world. And now that our country is in moral decay, and our country is turning away from religion, God is bringing that seed back to us. You know that here in Middle Tennessee, the churches that are really growing, they're under the radar. We don't know about these. These are the ethnic churches from immigrants that have come across from the world missionaries that are coming from Africa and Asia and because God is bringing growth to this church growth to this nation in the church through the seeds that we have sown so this is it hey we got a lot to do don't we we got a lot to do I told you and and, and this isn't about me but there's a vision in my life there's somewhere I want us to go but I don't want you to be left behind I want you to grow I want you to find God's vision and when you find your growth we can do it. One last time, I want to ask you if, you if you sat through this and you want us to know, if you want to put that text number up, take time to text your name to that number right there. So that way we will know that you were here today and that, that you'll, be rec- you'll be recorded for that. God's given us a vision for you. And when we answer that vision for you, we'll be the people he wants us to be. And then we'll serve the world. Let's pray together as our ushers come forward.